0: This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we examine topics of interest to people who seek a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Well, today's episode, uh, we're going to be covering a topic that we have never discussed before here on the podcast in the last uh, five years uh, that we've been doing it, and it's about uh, sex addiction. And my guest is David S., who is a member of um, Sex Addicts Anonymous, and uh, is here to let us know a little bit about um, what sex sex addiction is, some of the terminology uh, behind uh, sex addiction, and uh, describe um, the meetings uh of sex um, addicts anonymous meetings and so forth so anyway let me welcome uh, dave dave how you doing welcome to beyond belief sobriety
1: good to be on the call tonight it's a nice evening here in central canada a nice bright yellow canola field across the road so
0: oh, that sounds nice and you're
1: you're here we're here.
0: cool generally what i do on this podcast is begin with someone's story Um, and I wonder if you wouldn't mind, uh, sharing a little bit of your story to the extent that you're comfortable doing so. Um, and then we'll just kind of let a conversation evolve from there.
1: Well, I'll sort of imagine I'm sitting at one of my sex addicts anonymous, we call it SAA meetings. And I would say, hi, my name's Dave. I'm a grateful recovering sex addict. And everybody would say, hi, Dave. Dave. Um, (laughs) I've been involved in recovery for about uh, 10 years, I guess. Um. I made an early foray and then I sort of dropped out and I've been back at it for, oh, half dozen years, I guess. I say I'm a grateful recovering sex addict because I was sure stuck. I figured the only way I could survive life was to have that quiet, hidden, shameful sexual activity going and then my public persona. And I really thought that was the best I could do. And it was pretty crummy. It was pretty lousy. But it took me a while to be able to say grateful recovering sex addict because the uh, the whole term sex addiction, that just spins. It, it still does a little bit for me. You know, the way our society views sexuality, we use it to sell everything. And uh, in fact, the word sexy has maybe even lost uh, a lure of, of sexual just to become a cute word. But for me, what, uh, what should have been a healthy part of life was was pretty messed up. I won't go into the details of my particular life. I'll just say generally that I had some sex behavior uh, that was very costly to me, sort of in my moral, ethical image of myself in my relationship to my wife. It just was a whole secret life that was not working well for me. And yet I felt trapped by it.
0: You know, that's an interesting commonality, I think, with um, alcoholism and probably other addictions is that dual life.
1: Yeah. I think a little bit of a difference for my personal view is that if my friend said he was an alcoholic, he's in recovery, I wouldn't say, well, what, what drink did you drink and who did you drink it with? And what color was it? And what shape was it? And what was the person with, you know, it was just booze, right? Or drugs. But as soon as I mentioned sex, people would say, okay, wow, there, there could be a real juicy story here. And, uh, there certainly is some juicy stuff, but, uh, our whole society' is just spin so much about sex. I'm not against sex. I have a great sex life now in recovery, but but it's just sort of a strange thing to do because you know you know alcoholism, you put the plug in the jug. Uh, a drug addict has to be careful what drugs they consume. Food addiction I don't know too much about, but it's probably a bit closer to sex addiction because you can't stop eating. you can't you can't stop being a sexual person. But I came across your podcast because I'm having some trouble with all the God talk in my recovery rooms. So I found uh, Beyond Belief. In fact, I read the daily meditation book from Beyond Belief, Belief uh, of a variety of books I read. And uh, sometimes when the God chatter just gets so strong, it's just, it just doesn't work for me. So I I found uh, Beyond Belief and then I saw you at a podcast and I sort of skimmed over the very interesting guests you've had, listened to a few of them, but I certainly didn't see the word S-E-X too much. No, so.
0: there wasn't. There wasn't, you know, we came close a couple of times. Um, there was actually uh, somebody reached out to us years ago who was from New York and it was um, a sex addiction recovery group. Uh, it wasn't Sex Addicts Anonymous. I don't know what they were, but uh, they were starting to have secular meetings of their, of their group. And he was asking me about, you know, secular AA meetings and how they worked and so forth. But anyway, it was really interesting talking to him. And I asked him to come on the podcast and he was ready to do it. But for whatever reason, it never worked out. That was some time ago. Uh, so, yeah, I've always wanted to um, talk about this subject. So thank you for contacting us. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, well, maybe I'll tell a little bit about how this worked for me. I grew up in what I think was a pretty decent home. Uh, Parents were together and we had a good family life. But when I was about four, someone messed with me sexually. It was a guy. There was body parts involved. It was interrupted. It happened twice. It was interrupted, and no one ever said anything about it. I didn't understand what was going on. I just felt it was bad and shameful. And then you know, as I entered a adolescence, well, I found the girly magazines, and uh, the dictionary wouldn't tell me what sex was. But boy, those magazines sure helped. And then I discovered my own body and masturbation, and all of that, and it just seemed to fit like a. I've heard alcoholics talk about from that first drink or from that first first joint. I mean, the first time I had sex, it was it was just amazing. I mean, it still is. But my developmental stage, it just overpowered me, and so I went on to have a life, get married, and uh, I don't I don't know, in some senses, I sort of worship sex. Uh, my sponsor jokes said we are orgasm junkies, but I mean, it wasn't even just about the orgasm. It's just the whole fantasy, the whole excitement, the whole routine, the whole ritual, and then that whole double, double life aspect of it. So I I struggled through my whole life, you know, trying to be married. I was a pretty lousy husband, pretty pushy. And uh, I just didn't know there was any other way. I guess bottom for me had to do with a, a real scare of almost being exposed in my small community with uh, Facebook posts. I still don't know what went on, but it was some inappropriate stuff. And someone called me on it and I just got my butt to a meeting. And uh, that was a whole different story of how I found out that there actually were recovery meetings. I mean, I'd heard about Patrick Carnes ahead of time, but I was so full of uh, shame and fear that I wouldn't go anywhere near that book set in the, in the drawer under my bed for a long time on eh. So then I walked into my first SAA meeting. Now, there's a number of S groups, and they all have different flavors. Uh, one of my buddies goes to Sex and love anonymous, so for him it isn't so much it isn't so much about having sex it's about falling in love and having a relationship and the whole thrill of that whole business and he just got trapped into that again and again and again um, sexaholics anonymous some of these groups have a more rigid. Uh, sort of uh, description. Like the one group says that you only have sex in a committed marriage between a man and a woman. Well, in, sec- in Sex Addicts Anonymous, we have a pretty interesting way because we, we say you define your own level of what what sobriety means to you. So when I sit at a meeting, I'll hear people who are having a lot of affairs, people who are visiting sex workers, gay people having relationships, sometimes women, although we haven't had as many in our particular group, people who get trapped in the whole pornography cycle and uh, and a few guys who cross the line and serve serve time. Um, one of my best buddies, most inspiring guy served time because he just crossed lines and uh, he said going to jail was the best thing ever happened to him. He said he felt Far freer in jail than he felt trapped with his with his acting out pattern, but that's his particular story Mine didn't go into that direction, but uh, I just knew that there had to be a better way I mean, I tried everything I would get on my knees and pray and make promises, and it's just hard to I don't think someone who's not addicted can understand what obsession and compulsion are like. And even as I say that, it, it triggers shame inside me, and that's that's been a big struggle of recovery. Because in SAA we have a logo on our cover. It says "From Shame to Grace." So I've had to be graceful with myself. I didn't choose to be addicted to sex. I didn't uh, certainly made choices to go and pursue sex. But however this came about in me, I know that once I start into it, I'm going to carry on and it's gonna be destructive. So I'm glad I'm in recovery.
0: So can can you describe what a SA meeting is like and how what what one would expect when they go to their first meeting?
1: Well, we usually twelve step someone. So we don't just let someone walk in off the street. I guess there's a fear of people trying to come in and score some juicy stuff. So for instance, a guy will call for help or up someone else on the program says, Hey we're doing a twelve step so meet for lunch with the person we tell our stories and sort of sort out that this person uh, would be suitable for our group. And then we invite them to a meeting and uh, sit in a circle. We, we actually use several AA readings, use the serenity prayer. Uh, AA has the big book uh, NA has living clean. So we have what we call the green book. Uh, SAA has an organization. Uh, like a Houston, ours is in uh, Dallas, I think called ISO, International Service Organization. So we have a green book with the 12 steps and 12 traditions in the back part of stories. And uh, it describes some of the core elements of our program. We have a number of all kinds of pamphlets and things. So the meeting would usually have that traditional opening that i've that i've heard when i've been to na meetings with friends and then uh, there's usually a disclosure statement before sharing because there is that reportability element i'm not sure if you've ever explored this but i understand that what's disclosed in meetings does does fall under legal right legal I've heard that. Yeah, there, yeah
0: there's been a court case yeah. that came up in alcoholics anonymous about about just that mm-hmm
1: so we say to people, don't, don't disclose the legal behavior. We would certainly hope if people were involved in that, that that would be dealt with properly. And then people go around the circle and said, hi, my name is Dave. I'm a great for a recovering sex addict. And uh, we will have had some readings that time. And uh, it's just a discussion. You know, we, we follow basic 12-step protocols. You don't cross-talk and stuff like that. We finish off with something called the promises. Have you heard of those? I have.
0: Yeah, we have those. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. There's actually a version called the Ottawa Promises, but I don't know if that's Canada, Ottawa. I think there's an Ottawa in California, but, and that's a typical meeting. Um, I, I find it f-
0: interesting that you do the 12 step. You meet the person before they go to their first meeting and it makes sense, you know, uh, because it's, it makes a more safe environment for the other people in the group. They know that the person's already been vetted and that so they feel safer, I guess, when that person comes in. But logistically, how does that look work? Does the person call your group or they call like a central office and then you just kind of arrange a meeting somewhere?
1: Yeah, we have a classic restaurant. We sort of find a corner in and uh, uh, people email, people phone. We have our number number on some websites. Um, We're trying to get word out to the helping community and like we've developed some information packages. So I've disclosed everything to my doctor. So I put Package together with him and said, "You know, Doc, if you ever run across people similar issues to be, here's some information they could call." So uh, I don't know. People somehow uh, reach us, and I travel a bit. I'm sort of early retirement, so I've been to a meeting in Palm Springs a few times. A Whole bunch of gay guys, a fantastic meeting. And then I, where else did I attend? Somewhere in Texas, I went to loads of tele meetings in that first year. So I, I made sort of social friends uh, because I met them on meetings months on end you know
0: the telemeetings are probably important because um I imagine there aren't like aA you can find aA meetings everywhere I, I bet you don't find saa meetings as they're not as abundant as
1: a, an aA meeting am i am I right about that you're certainly right I live near a canyon city with six hundred thousand people and we have four meetings a week with between eight and fifteen people there and uh, there's certainly a lot more people with uh, troubles like you know but it's how do you sort of communicate that, eh?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You know. There's a much much bigger need than than is being met. That's for sure. But I can see the telephone meetings would be important. I know some overeaters groups do the same thing. Uh, the the telephone meetings are important to them as well. Probably for the same reason. And now, of course, you've got Zoom. How have you guys been doing with um with that?
1: Well, well, we're we're still fully zoomable. I'm zooming up here in Canada, we're we're trying to do a hybrid version because in our particular area, we have these restrictions are lifted gradually. Uh, Canada Canada has higher vaccine rates than the U.S. We're at uh, over seventy percent vaccinated and twenty five percent second vaccinated. Wow, that's, that's really, really vaccinated. good. Is that the entire but, nation? Uh, I think that's pretty well across Canada. Number wow, and uh, that's amazing. Our, our Prime Minister said we. We sort of open at levels. Anyway, our group is now, now able to meet. So we had some guys meet. We just use a room down at church. And so he sets his phone up and he's on Zoom and the rest of us are dialed in in our different places. So it's been good for us.
0: So tell me about the difficulty you had with the God bit. Um, with the in the program so I imagine that you you've got the same 12 steps that every other 12step organization has and maybe are they reword, reworded somewhat
1: yeah well maybe i'll I'll tell a bit more of my story through the steps and then that God stuff will sort of come into there uh first of all i'm I'm a Christian I still hang around church but uh boy i don't I don't see the whole god thing the way so much of my sort of right- wing Christian populace does uh I spend years hoping that this fairy dust miracle would settle on me and take away my problem, and that that just hasn't gone well. But but basically, step one: I'm powerless over being a sexual person, but I'm powerless over some urges I have. And once I start into it, it's going to carry on, and uh, my life becomes unmanageable because I don't, I can't handle the the dissonance within myself, and that just boils up a whole mess. Step two, I had to say that this this way of living is is crazy. It's insane to have this double layer going on. Something that should be so good in life is so destructive. And then the third step says I have to have something bigger than me. So bigger than me means whatever this universal creator is. I shows up best in this program and this phone call and my and my meetings. I developed a sort of an extended metaphor for the step work. Step four. I approach it as uh, I had this closet all my life. I would shove everything in the closet. I didn't really know how to deal with that except sex was a great way. It was sort of my drug of choice, and that closet was full. So I actually used a step guide from the NA program, but we used a lot of AA stuff. So I went through those resentment sheets. You fold out, you know, longitudinal sheets you may know about looked at, looked at resentments in my closet and I took them all out and spread them all over in the field. And then I got all my fears out and then all the shames that I had and, uh, Sex behavior, and I laid it all out there. That was what fourth step was—what emptying that closet right out. And then fifth step, of course, was to share that with someone. I've, I've got a pretty good sponsor. He lives a thousand miles away. We've only met a half dozen times, but boy, Zoom and phone calls have been just great. I would use that step guide from NA and uh, send him a copy. And in fact, in my early recovery, when I was pretty twitchy with emotions, and I would sit down and set my watch—twenty minutes of step work—and uh, Contact him. Send a copy out. So, I mean, steps means so much. They, a step could be an existential exercise. It could be talking a step one in a group, or it could be this paper process I used. Right,
0: right. The steps are pretty rich because they they that you've got all kinds of components to them. I mean, you've got they're experiential. They're um practical, they're, you know, it kind of depends. And, and and my understanding of them has evolved over time for sure. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that.
1: It was in step six, seven, where I really got what I, sometimes here in the rooms got, got traction in recovery. In my extended metaphor, I sort of say that once I finished step five, I took that closet and painted it and put up new shelves and put some lights in and I took the door off and I I took all that mess all over the field, and I organized it into neat piles on the shelf. And I was seeing this wonderful counselor. She she happened to be a twelve stepper, sort of an older gal. And uh, I had made this graphic. I'm I'm a scribbler, you know. So so I had this big uh, bubble graph where I had all these defects of character because step sixes became ready, and uh, so I had a. One third was a whole cluster of my fears: fear my cancer would come back, my wife's cancer, fear of disclosure, fear of uh, just on and on—all the fears I had in my life. Another whole quadrant had to do, I guess, a trisection would had had to do with my shames. You know, I was ashamed. I was abused. I was ashamed. My dad didn't say anything about it. I was I was ashamed of all my acting out. uh, Ashamed of who I was—a double standard—and then my third chunk had to do with. It's a bit hard to describe, but self-centeredness. I'm the sort of guy who actually likes standing up in front of a crowd talking and uh, just getting attention and being the center of attention and self-gratification. And uh, I don't know why I haven't become an alcoholic or tremendously obese or a drug addict, but somehow sex was my thing. But certainly sex and consumption of lots uh, was just a whole way of of self-seeking. So I was at this counseling session with my counselor, Doreen, and she's a real character. had this room ratty full of stuff, and she sits in her old chair, and I'm on this old couch, and I was telling her, Doreen, I've got this, this chart here, my sixth step, and I held it up to her, I, and I said, I, I don't know what's in the middle. It's a big, empty spot. Her eyes get big, and she says, Dave, come on. Uh, I said, no, no, I don't know what's... She said, Dave. And I said, no, I don't. So she sits on the floor in front of me and says, bring that paper down here. She says, yeah, do you mind if I write on this? And I said, sure. And she writes S-P-I-R-I-T, spirit. I've told the story many times, and I still feel like I'm getting choked up here. She said, Dave, that's, that's the pure, innocent spirit of that little boy before someone messed with him. That's that 11-year-old who didn't know what playboy and boobs and erections and orgasms were all about. He was lost, and then he found it. And that's that guy who got married and figured sex would solve everything. And that's the guy sitting in this room here today. And wow! And she said, all of these—I uh, call them deformities of character, not defects—but all of these character defects were trying to take care of that little spirit inside of me. And so, in recovery, I've had this just this wonderful insight: that this is the way I'm packaged. This is the way I work. And I've got some tools, I've got some supports, I've got some meetings, but I have to take care of that that inner Dave. And jumping to twelve step, I had a spirit awakening, a spiritual awakening. So where's God and all that? Well, whatever, whoever God is, I get I guess my 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 best current ability to grasp this would be that uh this great spirit is some loving motherly force of the earth that's that's there and uh I don't I re- know what I-, I
0: really like what she did. I like that concept of spirit rather than than spirituality or spiritual. and I can um, relate to this um, to to what she had to say to you. I think it's common for probably all addicts that there was some sort of trauma in our lives, and we found a way to um, Deal with that, medicate it, or numb it, or whatever we needed to do through um, some substance or behavior, and just you know, um, it just makes sense to me. I mean, that's exactly uh, me. When I look back, I started my drinking pretty young, and if if there's anything that we recover because people, you know, they call this recovery. If there's anything that we re- we recover, it's probably that what she described, that spirit that we had before the trauma
1: that's a wonderful reflection yeah gabor mate says that uh trauma's at the roots of of all addiction i believe uh, it
0: i really do now i you know i and and trauma is um you know it's a spectrum it's a wide spectrum but um i definitely do believe it it makes total sense to me and and the commonality I've, i've heard so many stories of people in recovery and trauma is as a commonality behind every single one of them that I've ever heard, so yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I
1: I describe it that uh, in my addiction I was lost. I mean I'm an educated guy, but I knew so little about the inner spirit of me. Remember. Russell Brand t- tells the story of being in a counseling session, this counselor says, Russell, how clever of you to found drugs to survive. Yeah,
0: right. You know, <laughs> because he did, because it, it does work for that time. It, 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 it does help you survive until it doesn't work anymore.
1: And that's where the God thing gives me trouble because, bless these people I go to meetings with, but. Uh, I often hear, you know, if I just prayed more, if I just tried more, if I just surrendered more, if I just did God's will, I would get recovery. And I'm just okay if that's going to work for you. But uh, for me, no. So
0: no, um, I find it sad. And, you know, um, I've seen over the years people that will, use, and I love the steps, but will beat them, will use the steps to beat themselves up because I think they're expecting more from them than. Than what maybe they might be able to get or maybe they're not really recognizing the subtle change that's taking place in them over time. But I've heard too many times people beating themselves up because they didn't they're not they're depressed. And they're not, and it's because they aren't working a step right or, you know, something like that. Or maybe they relapsed and, and they're beating themselves up and they say, I got to start all over again. I'm, I'm a screw up. It's just, it's just you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Is, it, it, it can be dangerous.
1: And that's where the God thing, I mean, I, uh, I don't know. There's like in the last year we've, last year's uh, science has presenting us with so many ideas, like if you follow quantum mechanics at all, there's just, there's just explanations for stuff that we, we had no, no room to it imagine that a particle could be in two places and be influencing southern from here to the moon and but so so there's certainly rooms i'm i'm connected to indigenous people a lot and they talk about the great spirit i've privileged to have an eagle feather behind me that an elder gave me and uh i can't deny that there's a there's a spirit in everything and uh i even think god's in everything but uh could go rambling on there and yet I'm still connected to church. So what can I say about that, eh? I was going to throw a few more terms at you because, you know, understanding sex addiction, like we talk about sobriety. Well, I think of sober meaning not not drinking, eh? Abstinence. Abstinence. Well, I'm abstinent from my inner circle, but I, but I can't be absent from being a sexual person. Uh, the whole business of uh, you know, like celibacy, I I chose to have some celibacy in the earlier part of my recovery, but... Now I'm, I'm, I've a a healthy sexuality, pretty healthy for an old guy. Uh, My wife and I are both old, so things change. And that's, that's another whole part of adjusting to life. But so recovery, like you mentioned earlier, I, I can't recover back to something I never had, but I can recover that, that spiritual essence within myself, which, I would suggest every culture through time has had some way to deal with that. That's that level of existence beyond just this concrete factual, you know, atoms spinning around the nucleus type of thing. eh?
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. The whole idea of um, uh, sobriety um, and different sorts of addictions. I mean, food addiction is the same way uh, the uh, people have to define their, for themselves, what, what abstinence looks like or what sobriety looks like. Um, I, uh, I tend to focus on, um, recovery, uh, and sobriety as part of my recovery, but, um, recovery for me is just a, a process of change, um, that I've, I've undergone, uh, since, um, asking for help for uh, my drinking and, um, it's, and, and abstinence is very important to that, um, to that change. I couldn't have gone through the change without the abstinence, but, um, yeah, I, I I like to I think in terms of recovery more than I do sobriety. Although sobriety is important, and I and I do distinguish the two. I'm they're different things for me.
1: I would also suggest that our society is is uh, we have such a narrow view of sexuality, and it's so shame based. Like I I had to learn early in recovery that that shame says I am bad, guilt says I did bad, and I have to distinguish those two. I I still have to do that regularly, but like uh, the guy who offended me uh, or against me, where did that teenager learn to do that? Someone offended against him, right? So the circle goes around and well, hopefully it's topic with me. But I think, I think of all these kids who have no, no understanding, like I've actually had some talks with myself as if my dad sat me down and said, you know, that, that guy who was touching you the other day, you know, what was going on there? And, like I talked myself through the way I was, wish my parents had. They didn't have those skills. Uh, I mean, I love my parents, and I tried to talk to my dad once, and he just wept and wept. He didn't know. He didn't know what to say or what to do. And who knows, man? Maybe he had been abused too. I yeah. Mean,
0: um, when when, when we, did you do that? After you got into recovery? When did you do that?
1: He, uh, yeah, I had. I've had two two swings of recovery but uh i mean, my whole life's been trying to recover from this but but uh yeah it was when i was first involved in saa i talked to him i remember he sat in the car and he just didn't know what to say so i was i was being graceful with him that uh, i was doing okay and uh you know th- that's sort of part of recovery in fact the whole issue of cross addiction i uh Family member goes to NA and they're doing well. They've had multiple years of uh, staying clean, and uh, so I went to a meeting with him. He invited me, and uh, so we go around the circle. And I said, "Hi, my name's Dave. I'm an addict." And as as the evening went on, I felt uh, I think I'm safe here to say something. And so I, in my share, I said, "You know, guys, my my particular addiction has to do with sex and how I've used sex in my life." And so for me, it has to do with being abstinent from sexual some sexual behavior. And the guys really attentive. Well. There was about 15 people there. After that meeting, two fellows approached me and said, you know, I appreciate your story. I think there's some stuff in my life that connects to what you said. And in fact, I reached out to a local group and we uh, took them to a meeting a few nights later. So, you know, it's a lot of stuff. Our our group is full of guys who were part of AA or NA and they come across because it's uh, they feel maybe it's more of a core addiction, but... We don't have to get a ranking game here. No, no.
0: I want to share something with you uh, because your story about your father reminded me of um, an identical, identical story uh, with me and my dad. So I was sober. I was in AA maybe for, I don't know, 30 days, 60 days, something like that before I told my dad. And um, I'll never forget it. He was in the kitchen and I told him that I stopped drinking. I was going to AA and he broke down and cried. And he took um, a bottle of booze and started pouring it down the sink. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. And I don't, I, I see, he um, he wasn't an alcoholic, but um, I grew up around alcohol. Uh, there, the, there was always parties, um, big parties in, uh, in my family. And um, I don't know if maybe, he I don't know what went on with him with that, but I, I never asked him. But that was really interesting that you had that same experience with your father. I just found that kind of relatable and, and I just wanted to share that with you. I, I still don't, it's just something I remember and I don't know if I'll ever really understand it. Maybe he just loved me and he just, um, and it hurt him to know that I had to experience that.
1: Well, you know, John, perhaps that action of pouring were his words, it's, you know, that was an action for something he couldn't say.
0: Yeah, because you are powerless, aren't you? Even as a family member, you, what can you say? What can you do?
1: That just brings me to mind the uh, challenges of couples in recovery. Like one of the guys I sponsor now, his wife is just full of suspicion. She doesn't trust him at all. She He had some junk mail on his phone and she called the cops and he oh, just went through hell. And the, this guy has been totally abstinent but she is so triggered and so another fella his his wife's had some breast cancer and he's pouring up with stuff and then how does she make sense of that like it's it's really tough and uh we do have an esenon group my wife went for a while and she went to counselor a few times and i was blessed with a woman who was a voracious reader and she just dived right in and uh so she has been part of recovery and we we have a recovery vocabulary, which my counselor taught me, called be, being hooked. So if, I, so if I'm down in the garden and I stay extra long watering the plants, and she looks out the window and sees me talking to that blonde lady across the way, and then I come back up and she's real snippy and she's standoffish. I say, oh, did you get hooked by that? Yeah, well, how are we going to unhook from that? So we have to sort that stuff out, eh? You know, because a spouse has to do step one, two, like, my wife's powerless over over my behavior, but my thoughts and her life becomes unmanageable when she gets in a knot about it. And so we've had to do quite a bit of work to to sort those things out and sometimes we actually use the vocabulary. Were you hooked there? Yeah, I noticed that. well that must be tough eh
0: I imagine you know they're probably and this is um, I think a, there was a, I, I, I had for a, a brief second what I think is an incorrect assumption that there might be more infidelity, but i don't think that's the case because it it's um pretty much um widespread is, infidelity is widespread in society but but when you get honest about it if 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 you go to your wife and you tell her that you know you've had this problem and that's and then maybe she. There's a loss of trust. Maybe.
1: Yeah, well, certainly trust is just just trashed, and that to rebuild that, like like I'm working with a fellow now, and he's, he's just a month in. He said, "I want to make amends. I want to make amends." I said, "Yeah, that that is really important." But uh, maybe right now it's. It's a matter of you getting a couple solid months in. How does she get some support? She just feels lost. I mean, you know, there's so many ways you you mentioned treatment approaches. There's umpteen treatment centers. I mean, we hear that Weinstein was in treatment in the states, and there are some classy treatment centers where you check yourself in for thousands of dollars, and your wife comes and saves the last two weeks, and you have a disclosure with a lie detector apparatus and all sorts of stuff. I mean, I know guys who still have to have a lie detector test every six months or something because it's the protocol. Yeah, so the, the whole rebuilding of uh, trust, uh, the whole recovery, like my wife and I say, we are in recovery. And we have these setbacks. I mean, I get times when I get, I used to use the word jangling, but I go into some environment and some gal is showing off more than is good for me and it just used to rattle me. Well, my wife gets rattled by stuff too, but uh, when you've had long-term recovery long-term abstinence you develop some tools and uh you know these things are like waves you know uh when a wa- when a wave goes across the lake it, the water doesn't pile up the the side of the lake the the water goes up and down and so the waves come and then they decrease and uh, making it through that is why i have guys so my sponsors phone me and say i'm a tough day and well let's talk man and uh we carry on eh so so um have
0: you met other people in your group um who might be having problems with the with the god stuff and i hate to go back to that again but
1: hey oh, hallelujah i was going to say um i know some guys who literally walked cuz they just couldn't stop we, we we start with a prayer we end up with a third step prayer some groups actually still say the lord's prayer and you know i've thought we could maybe have thematic meetings where one night we had lots of prayer and Bible reference. Other other nights we lean it down and uh, keep it more of a secular approach. But our group is so small and, uh, you know, we're a little bit fragile there. So I just choose for now not to. I mean, I share pretty freely about my own own journey of steps. And of course some people call me so I've got a new guy I'm sponsoring who doesn't know this God talk at all and obviously he appreciated some stuff that I I said and uh, so we're we're developing a relationship that's I
0: like to see that I like to see uh, people come in uh, you know n- new to the program or whatever and uh, they're coming to well in our my case maybe a secular meeting they've never had any um, exposure to all the god stuff and in your case someone who you befriend. And they, you know, they, they have not been, um, they have not been, um, exposed to all the, to a sponsor who was telling them to get on his knees and pray and all that kind of stuff. So,
1: yeah. 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 You know, with the God stuff, I'm a bit of a, how can you describe me? I'm, I'm just a curious nerd. So I have most recovery books on my iPad here and you can simply search for any word you have it. So, I've actually indexed the amount of God vocabulary in in the Green Green Book and the second edition of the AA Big Book and the fourth one and the Living Sober Book and a few other ones are Living Clean I should say and uh, I think our SAA Green Book wins the prize uh, you know for God's will and higher powers will and stuff uh, we have a daily meditation book written by SAA members in fact I submitted a piece. And uh, I went through it, and there were like 450 times that God was mentioned in in the year. And, uh, well, maybe that's their personal experience. And
0: You know, we were talking about how society uh, puts this judgment on uh, sex and people that have sex addiction. And it's like a moral judgment, right? So it almost seems like an over emphasis on on spirituality or god exacerbates that um sense that i'm a bad i'm a bad immoral person and i need to become moral it seems to me that that could that could be a problem um, especially in sa probably more so than aa or na because of the way society views it and the way that people themselves that have the problem might view it
1: yeah i mean the every week we have a new revelation on someone who's been revealed to have crossed the line sexually and they're a moral reprobate perverted person who's you know a a wine scene to use that word i guess you won't sue me now but uh uh, but you know when did you last hear program about someone who's in recovery it's more of a joke like man you hear what the sex addict (laughs) uh, i mean i laugh at some of that too i'm uh I've been watching the show, Mom, I'm not sure if you're allowed to I mention. Know, I like it. Trade shows. Oh, you can. Mm-hmm. S- s- sitcom about uh, uh, mother-daughter recovery and their friends, but uh, there's uh, quite a bit of sex talk there, and I don't think there's much awareness of sex addiction, and uh, there's another one called Louder Milk. It's It's a crazy one, but... Sam Loudermilk runs a recovery group, but it's sort of not AA. It's he's hired by this ministry to run this recovery group, but there is all sorts of sexuality in that show. But it's it's really a earthy, hard hitting show about recovery. It's got a few seasons out there, so I don't know, it's uh it's a social journey, isn't it?
0: What we, I have to ask you about? Did you did you see the movie? Thanks for sharing. I think is what it was called. No, it's okay. on my list. All
1: right, I'm gonna have to. Because we to actually did a
0: podcast next. on that one. Yeah, it was actually pretty good. It was a good movie. Um, you know, and, and now of course all these movie, any movie that depicts an AA meeting or an SAA meeting, those meetings never come off very realistically in the, in the movies. But but the stories of the individuals were really interesting and compelling, and the acting was really good. So I, I thought, I, I would recommend the movie. It was pretty good.
1: Well, that reminds me, you know, I see a bus go by and there's a big ad on the side for AA and yesterday on TV. Uh, a wonderful ad on TV in the news about uh, uh, Al-Anon and, Mom, I wish I could go to a meeting. Oh, there's something called Ella Teen and it changed my life, you know. Uh, but sex addiction i don't know it's uh it's just something our society hasn't grappled with i think there's just too much dissonance going on i mean it's uh we want to celebrate body positivity celebrate sexuality lgbtq i mean i'm totally supporting that i got a family family member who's gender fluid and i i love this person dearly and i'll support them but that particular person has had seven years clean from drugs so This whole journey of our identity of who we are seems to be tied up. And uh, we just, we have some work to do in, in our society to deal with that.
0: Yeah. I think we, I think we do um, have to educate people or people need to become educated about just addiction in general. Um, I, I was speaking to an addiction doc and she is not alone in this view that um, addiction is primarily a problem of the reward center in the mind. It's the dopamine spikes that you get from whatever your addictive behavior is, whether that be through alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, shopping, whatever, you get these large spikes of dopamine. And after a while, your brain begins to expect that. It thinks it needs that. And it's just, it, it's just you know, um, I think it's a pretty good uh, understanding physically of what happens. And she, what she said is that you're not a drug addict. You're not a sex addict. You're not an alcoholic. You're a dopamine addict. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it's just something that happens in your brain. It's a human thing.
1: Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to chat, <laughs> uh, chat with her because uh, how do I have a healthy sex life?
0: <laughs> I know.
1: It, it, well, is that still a dopamine rush? I mean, well, she talks about that.
0: She does talk about that. And she says that, um, of course, now, like um, different, different substances and different behaviors have different levels of dopamine spikes. So like alcohol and um, drugs go way, way, way up high, right? Food doesn't go quite as high, you know, but it, but it still it still can cause a problem. Sex too, all of that. So I don't know. It's just it's just kind of a, another way of looking at it. It's not necessarily the way I'm beginning to understand addiction. Is it's um, it's easy for me to see how it is. It's not about the substance or the behavior. It's it's about um, the person, their their life experience, um, what they went through, and what happens to us um, chemically and biologically in the brain. Uh, that's how i kind of that's how i'm beginning to understand it but you know society even with alcohol and drugs uh, people th- that haven't had experience with with that. And it's hard to believe that there aren't even people that have had experience with it. But, but um, there's still a lot of judgment on that too, about, you know, why can't you drink like a normal person? Why can't you drink like a gentleman? You know, why can't you, why do you have to be a sloppy drunk? You know? Um,
1: Well, there's a lot of, a lot of tangles in that one. Uh, I just kept thinking of the word hope. I mean, I honestly thought I couldn't live without all this dopamine in my life. Like, Like I literally thought I couldn't do that. And I had a tough withdrawal, but I was presented with with hope by other people who were having healthy relationships, including healthy sexuality. And I just couldn't conceive of that. So I just did the next right thing and got to lots of meetings. And like I described in my steps, I just had this epiphany of understanding why this stuff is so powerful over me. It's still powerful over me. But I sort of have a picture of of how to live sober or how to live in recovery.
0: Well, I think you're a good example of recovery. And I think it takes a lot of courage to come on and talk about this. And I'm so glad that you did. And to share with us um, some of the, you know, interesting aspects of, of this particular addiction and, and and how SAA works. I just, fi- I find it really interesting. So it's been a great conversation. I really thank you for bringing this to us. It was, uh, I'm really grateful that, that you took the time to do this. So thank you very much for that. Thank you for
1: having me on and thank you for the service you do, because I think you're, you're an essential part of uh, broadening the picture of what recovery is like and how with a more secular approach, I mean, society is certainly drifting away from uh, you know, we're post Christendom, so we need to have, uh, we need to enlarge uh, the perspective that you can deal with spiritual things without buying into this particular system. you're doing a good job, right? Well, thank That's you. Appreciate it.
0: That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening.